Uh, we've been going on along in this series, uh, walking through the New Testament, and uh, we've been in going through the Gospel of Matthew, and today um, we got a very interesting section of Scripture. We're not going to get through all of chapter 3, we're going to get through part of it, um, but uh, it's, one of those, it's one of those sections of Scripture that kind of gets glossed over. Like, oh, John the Baptist, wacky guy, camel hair, you know, honeycombs, that kind of stuff, you know. Not our role model for, for the Christian faith on, on a regular basis. Not sure why. I think it would be kind of cool. <laughs> what are you going to go out as Halloween this year? John the Baptist. I'm going to scare everybody. It's going to be great. Um, but we got uh, uh, some interesting things in this particular chapter. There's some things that people don't really recognize. Uh, and between chapter 2 and chapter 3, most people don't realize that 30 years have passed. 30 years of time have passed between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. All of a sudden, Jesus is a baby, and then poof, he's a man. It's kind of cool. If it was only that easy to go backwards, <laughs> that would be way better. Um, but, but 30 years have passed in that life. But, but another thing that has happened here is that the Jewish people had been without a prophet in the nation for over 400 years. In the beginning of the Jewish nation, the prophets were there. They were always guiding the people. If people would stray off, the prophets would bring them back. And now for 400 years, the prophetic voice in Israel had been silenced. And in that time frame, what had happened is these groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, had kind of rolled up into this, these places of power within the Hebrew community, and they started exercising authority that honestly never belonged to them. So it's kind of interesting. And then along comes John the Baptist who was a prophet, doing what prophets do, making everybody mad. Because a prophet typically will bring two things with them each time, hope and judgment. If you look back through the Old Testament writings, prophets always carried those two things with them, hope for those who would believe and judgment for those who would not. So it was very interesting. So here he comes, you know, in all of his glory, all of his camel hair, honeycomb glory, you know, and what we discover is that he had a very intense disdain for the religious leaders of the day. He did not like the way the faith had been moving. And so he was pointing the people of Israel back to the truth of God's word, the simplistic truth of God's word. One of the things that he does uh, in this process, we're not going to get to this this week, but we'll be getting to it next week, is John compares his baptism by water with the coming baptism of Jesus by the, by the Holy Spirit and fire. And it's kind of interesting. We, when we get into that next week, it's, uh, uh, we're going to be looking into what that really means because he tells us nothing about what it means, which is awesome. You, you love it when like incredible spiritual statements come out of, out of Scripture with no explanation whatsoever. They're, it's very comforting. But thankfully, we have the rest of the Bible to help us understand what's going on there. And uh, I think the answer might surprise you, but that's next week. Um, so what I want to do right now as we, uh, as we get into this, we're going to be Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be through verses, uh, verses 1 through 10. Um, so if you want to turn in your Bible to there, if I, hopefully you brought your Bible with you. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and ask God to bless this journey as we walk through his word. Heavenly Father, we want to, we want to ask you to walk with us through this process, Lord, as we, as we dig into your word to learn about you. We ask for your spirit to draw with us, to walk alongside us and to draw our attention to what needs to be seen and added to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so let me, let me read this portion of scripture here. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John himself with clothes and camel, was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mmm. Anyone's looking for lunch ideas? There you go. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, uh, to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, not a warm greeting, but you know, it's, it works, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say that God is able to raise up children to Abraham, uh, to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. One of those warm, fuzzy sections of scripture, right? You know? It's always, it's always good. So one of the things that John does, uh, that uh, uh, Matthew does in this particular section and that, that John alludes to is this idea of what happens when faith is replaced with something else. I want to focus around that section in, in Isaiah because it's, it's one of those passages like, oh, an Old Testament reference. Whoop, moving right along, let's get to the baptism of Jesus because that's the good part when the Holy Spirit comes down. No, let's back up for a second. What, what does that passage mean? What happens when faith is replaced with something else? And sometimes we think, well, what could faith, poss- faith, faith possibly be replaced with? Water. I'm going to get them water. Everything is good. A lot of times what we see today is, uh, is what's hap- what we see happening today is the same thing that happened back in these days. And it was faith was replaced with what we call legalism. And other names for legalism, well, we'll get to some of the other names here in a second. Now, the Christianity is a defined faith, which means that we have a clear path of understanding of what our faith looks like, what worship looks like, because it's outlined for us in the scriptures. There's no guesswork involved. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're pleasing whoever happens to be leading the group, because whoever happens to be leading the group is irrelevant. It's about pleasing God through the uh, through the adherence to his word. That, that's what Christianity teaches us. It's not about where we go. It's about who we know. And what we're supposed to, who we're supposed to know is Jesus. But within Christianity, we also have these various denominations, don't we? And denominations form when groups within the faith break off for one reason or another because, you know, maybe you worship with these types of, this type of music. They don't really like that. They want to use this type of music. Fine. No big deal. As long as the object of the worship is the same, it doesn't matter. You know, the concert that's coming up that they, uh, Jay was talking about, it's a, it's a metal concert. And that doesn't mean that, you know, all the instruments are metal. The metal is the music, you know? It's like you understand every third word and none of them make sense if you string them all along together. You know, it's, re- it's really cool. There's, I have some friends who absolutely love Christian metal. I don't get it. Probably because the metal I listened to as a kid was not Christian. Okay. 
but they, they, they break away and they form a different type of worship for one reason or another. An easy example would be the Protestant Reformation. We broke away from the Catholic Church because we didn't like the way that they talked about salvation. They believed salvation was through, through the church. We believed salvation was through, through faith in Christ and Christ alone. So this has happened all through church history. Every denomination deals with this. Even us non-denominationals, which is really a denomination, we just don't want to admit it, right? You go to a one, denom- one non-denominational church to another, they're almost identical. You want to know why? It's because the non-denominationals are a denomination. <laughs> you say that to pastors and you're just like, we're, we are not! <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. We still deal with it. Every group in Christianity deals with it. There is no exceptions. Now, that being said, there's another group within this process. And they don't just split away to create something that different based on convictions. They split away for a more malicious meaning, or a more malicious process, and we call this legalism. Now, these groups, what they do is they believe that their method of worship is the only right one. Anyone ever been in a church like that? I have. Okay? They believe that their method of worship is the right run and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> what an amazing thing to believe. All of the rest of Christendom is wrong because they don't do it the way I do it. Humble much? You know, really great. Some will believe that you're not even saved because you don't believe the way they believe. It gets amazing. What these groups do is they tend to add standards to the process of salvation, and they claim that those standards that they have added have to be observed in order for you to be a true believer. These always have very vague and often misused scriptural support, if they have any scriptural support at all, because 90% of the time they don't. But the group has still dedicated themselves to that because, and it's almost always around this, I prayed about this, and me and God have an understanding about this, and I believe God spoke this to me even though it's nowhere in the Bible. Chances are, when he finished the Bible, he was like, oh, crud, forgot that part. Uh, It's okay, I'll wait 2,000 years, and then I'll tell Bob, because that's a normal process that God uses, right? Probably not what happened. Now, an easy example for this, uh, how many of you have ever heard the idea that in order to be a Christian, you have to have faith in Christ evidenced by the speaking of tongues? So if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have Jesus, and therefore you're not really saved. So in order to be saved, you have to have faith in Jesus, then you have to appease me by speaking in tongues. That's awesome. And what they do is they take that section in Acts chapter 2 when at Pentecost, when the, when the, when the, 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 uh, the tongues of fire came down and everyone started speaking in tongues. See, that's what happens. I'm like, that's great. So what you're saying is the disciples weren't saved before that? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I don't know. Was Jesus saved? Of course Jesus was saved. Any evidence of Jesus speaking in tongues? No. <gasps> oh my gosh, Jesus wasn't saved. You get this pile of nonsense. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the problem is that even though that there's no scriptural support for that particular view, we also have this. 1 Corinthians 12, this is Paul. 
It says, are all apostles? Now, all these questions demand the answer no. They're rhetorical questions. So you could read it like this. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? Let's just highlight that one in black, shall we? No. Do all interpret tongues? No. You want to know why? Because the manifestation of a spiritual gift doesn't mean anything. It literally means nothing to your faith. Go to Matthew. We're going to get to this in a couple of weeks. You get to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. When, they, when Jesus says, many will come to me on that day. Did we not prophesy, do miracles? Let me put that in simple terms. Did we not manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And Jesus says, guess what? You're not even saved. We got to remember that there's more than one spiritual authority on this earth. There's one trying to get us to heaven, the other one trying to drag us somewhere else. But when we start thinking that because we're doing this, obviously we're good with God. God is way more pleased with me because I'm doing this than he is with someone that just has faith. It's a sad reality, but this happens all the time. Someone will ask you, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I have to admit, I kind of get excited sometimes when that stuff happens. I, I, I feel bad when it happens to someone not prepared for it, but I really like it. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> because most of the time, people with those types of views, they have no idea why they actually believe it. What The reason that they actually believe it is because the leaders of their denomination have trained them to value the teaching of the denomination over the teaching of God's word. Do you hear me? They value the teaching of the denomination over the teaching of God's word. I remember doing a, uh, a presentation in front of a denominational group a long time ago when we were in, in uh, uh, youth ministry. And we were talking about bringing this, this youth ministry. We were traveling. Uh, it was called Gen Next. It was really cool. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it. I, I met my wife there. Obviously, she's had vision problems her whole life, so she never really, you know, it's, 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 it was really good for me. Uh, she obviously married me for my money. Um, <laughs> so one thing that I know is that she has to love me. <laughs> There's, it's, it's, it's tall, dark, and handsome went out the window a long time ago, you know? Uh, which is awesome. But we get there and we're talking about bringing this ministry. We're, talk, we're talking about bringing, bringing the gospel message in a way that the youth responds. And one of the comments that we're, we're given there was, you know, shouldn't we spend time teaching these kids what it means to be XYZ denomination? See the difference? We want to bring the simplistic gospel message to kids in a way that they can understand it. And part of the argument of why that shouldn't happen was because it might take away from what it means to be a good fill in the blank. Ouch. We do this all the time. Probably the most prolific example in our world today is, is, is honestly the Catholic Church. And that's not me bashing anyone, it's just the truth. If you don't belong, then they believe you're not even, you're not even saved. I've known pastors over the years. Uh, Andrew, cover your ears. Uh, who will teach you that drinking Mountain Dew sends you straight to hell. And if you drink a Red Bull, I don't even know if you live past that. You know, you might be alive, but your soul is already in the depths of burning fire. That's the, that's just just the way it is because caffeine is evil. 
Now, the funny thing is, I was actually having this conversation with, with a pastor who's talking to me about how these drinks are evil and how this needs to happen while he's drinking coffee. <laughs> I'm just like, this, this is too easy. <laughs> this, is, this is about to get good, <laughs> you know? I've been told that having a beard is sin. I've been told that having short hair is sin. Uh, having uh, Women having short hair is a sin, and men having long hair is also a sin. Uh, which I reminded that person that during that particular time, Jesus had a beard and long hair and occasionally wore what we would call a onesie dress. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) How about this one? Women wearing pants is a sin. Because, you know, pants were invented for men. Um... Okay, let's go back to those early times again and see how many people had pants. <laughs> Not many. And the, the list just, gets, get, just goes on and on and on and on and on. It gets really crazy that you have, to, you have to have all of these qualifications in order to be accepted by the church who was supposed to be redeemed by the blood of our Savior. Isn't that amazing? Churches, have, churches are so good at overcomplicating Christianity. How many of you have ever been told this? If you're divorced, you're probably not savable. And you're not, you, you might be able to get into heaven, but you'll never be usable in ministry ever again. You're, you're permanently broken. You know, you read in the Old Testament that God divorced Israel. <laughs> Oops. You know, I know it's, it's, it's so amazing how many of these things that we pile on to people, you know, you get a young man or a young woman that grows up in the church and they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's really great. Um, who are they? Who's their family? Are they Christians? Do they dress right? Do they talk right? Do they have the right friends? We start piling on all of these qualifications in order to make that person acceptable instead of thinking to ourselves, How do we get this person connected with Jesus? Because if I connect this person with Jesus, he'll do the rest. You know, one of my, one of my favorite quotes about the simplicity of the gospel comes from a little old man who had a stroke a long time ago. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord. His name is John Barone. How many of you remember John Barone? Yeah. You all know him because at one point, that one good hand that he had would grab you and crush bones in your body. Now, I want you to understand, he was smaller than me. Not by much, but enough so that I knew it. He was also hunched over, so that may have had something to do with it. But he would, he would say things like, get saved or I'll kill you. You know, it just this little Italian guy. And one of the things that he would always say was, you catch him, he cleans him. He would say that constantly. And the idea was, stop trying to clean people. Just catch them. We're fishers of men. We're supposed to catch the fish. He cleans them. Because we don't even know what's wrong. Half the time, we don't know what's wrong with us. You know, if you, you, you doubt me when someone asks you, how you doing? And you go, ah. It's because you don't know. Whatever you do, don't ask your wife or girlfriend. So what's going on? Oh, what did I just do? Because now neither of us know. Um, we're just going to sit here and figure this out. And if you're married, guys, it, you, the problem is probably you. 
just, just, just to bring that into some sort of situation. You know. <laughs> it works pretty good. I wonder where I stopped. Hmm. Oh, here it is. <laughs> yep. So what we end up with is a religion made by man. And one of the key differences between a religion and a faith is a religion is a system, right? You can have faith in the religion, but the religion itself is a system, all right? So what you end up with is a religion made by the hands of man, and those men think that they speak for God. I'm bringing you the word of God. I'm just not using the word of God to do it. Oh, that's the church I want to go to. But you see, this is why John called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Walking into a brood of vipers was a death sentence. If you were walking down down the road or you're cutting through a field or whatever, and you stepped into a brood of vipers, which essentially could also mean nest, you were already dead. You just didn't know it yet. The things are toxic. What they do to you is just toxic. You can't survive the venom that they put into you. Pharisees and the Sadducees were a brood of vipers because what they brought was poison. And what they brought were they were leading people into into, um, uh, dedication to the system, not the object of their faith. You understand what I mean? And it's easy to do with the Old Testament law because the system governed the entire area of your faith. You You had to fulfill the system. The problem was the system was there to direct your eyes to him. But when you focused on the system, you never actually got to know God. God was this thing off in the ether. It was never something that you could reach. It was never, it was never a connection you could attain. Because you spend your life trying to fulfill this set of obligations instead of trying to get to know the one to whom we're obligated to. In essence, you were not a real believer unless the ruling authorities approved of you. What a horrible place to be. This was never God's plan. We do not worship church leaders or pastors, no matter how cool they are. It was worth a shot. We don't worship any man or any woman. We worship God and God alone. It it makes no difference. Your pastor cannot save you. I might talk to God, but I don't have that kind of pull. Neither does anybody else. Neither does the Pope. The Pope is not God. The Pope is not Jesus. Your church cannot save you. Your membership to the church cannot save you. How much you give to the church cannot save you. It makes no difference if you are a Baptist, Catholic, Pentecostal, Mennonite, Lutheran, or fill in the blank with anything else. That connection to the church does not redeem you in the eyes of God. It does not cleanse you from sin. It just gives you a path. That's all it is. If you are worshiping anything other than Christ, you are in error. And I've had people say this, I'm good, I was raised in the church. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know people who, you know, who, whose parents owned a bar, <laughs> so they were sort of raised in a bar, doesn't make them a beer. <laughs> I mean, based on you are what you eat, maybe they are now. (laughs) Who knows? But none of that matters. 
where you were brought up. There are a lot of people that I've met over the years who were brought up in the church, learned the method, learned the system, knew when to raise their hand, knew all the words to the songs, played on the worship team, did all of this stuff. Never once were they confronted with the reality that they needed to come to Christ, confess their sin, and be redeemed. There's a lot of parents out there still today, and if there's any here, you really need to rethink this. Being here and bringing your kids here does not save your kids. They still have to come to faith on their own. So do we all. But the good thing is, the gospel message was never meant to be complicated. It was actually meant to be so ridiculously easy that some people have a problem with how easy it is, so we make it more complicated. It can't just be confessing faith in Christ and following after the teachings of Scripture. It's got to be more complicated than that. Uh, Nope. That's pretty much it. The problem is, anyone ever tried to read the Bible and think, this can't be that complicated? Yes, it is. But it's not complicated because it was written to be complicated. It was, it's complicated because it was written in a language we don't speak to a culture and society that doesn't exist with cultural and societal uh, uh, ideas that are very foreign to us. It was not written to 21st century Western American Christians. And by the way, it wasn't written in English. So we have something translated not just in language but in culture. That makes things really difficult. It's one of the reasons why I typically, when, I, when I'm teaching about hermeneutics and, and things like that, I come to this. The Bible cannot mean to us what it could never have meant to them. And so the goal of good Bible teaching, the goal of a pastor, is not to sit on the, be on the stage and say witty things or be funny. That's just a bonus for you guys. The goal of a pastor is to sift through all that culture and all that language to find the timeless piece of truth that God intended for his people to use and then bring that timeless truth to today. That's the goal of Bible teaching, to take the simplicity of God's word and present it to God's people so that they can follow it. But that means we've got to do some things. We've got to understand what this thing is. That takes some work. Thank goodness God has given us the tools to do that. But a lot like the Pharisees and Sadducees, there are a lot of churches today that make things way harder than they need to be. So we have this section in Isaiah 40, chapter uh, verse 3. And this is the actual quote from Isaiah. It's a little different than what you're going to see in Matthew, but it's, it's still essentially the same thing. It says, The voice of one quiet crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's kind of neat, isn't it? Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The idea here is that John is the one making straight the paths of God. And what he's doing is he's confronting the wandering nonsense that has wormed its way into the church. He's confronting the things that don't need to be there. And he's trying to get people to understand this is not important. John taught basically one thing, repent for your sins, and then he would baptize them. The baptism wasn't what saved you. The baptism was the, was what we did in, in basically in response to what God has done to us. We would be baptized publicly so that everyone knew I am a sinner. 
I am repenting of my sin and I'm agreeing to walk in the pathways of God from this point forward. And all who were around who are watching, please hold me accountable to this. That's what water baptism is. It's not a public bath. That would be weird. It's one of the reasons why I don't baptize kids who can't explain to me why it's happening. A lot of parents have, over the years have brought kids to me. Will you baptize my, 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 my child? And I'll ask the kid in front of the parent, why do you want to be baptized? A few times the parents have tried to answer for the kid. Excuse me, let your child answer. It's, it, a lot of times when they're young, it comes down to this. My parents want me to be baptized. Why don't we wait a few years before we do this? It has to be something we want to do. That's one of the things that made John a true prophet. He brought people back to the simplistic worship of God with a pure heart in thankfulness because we realize that God still loves us in full view of our own unclean lives. You know that you're not too far away from God wherever you are right now? You're not too far away from God for him to reach you. You just have to want it. This is why his focus was on repentance. It was a simple truth of God, nothing complicated about it. Make straight the path. Uncomplicate the faith. And this is why the legalist Pharisees and Sadducees hated him. They didn't like him at all because they were taking away their authority. See, when someone has legalistic authority over you, this is why it's so hard for people to leave a legalistic church. Somehow, the the leaders of that organization have gotten into you and they somehow grabbed some level of authority with you where you think you have to please them. And if you leave and go someplace else, you're admitting that you are not up to their standards. What a horrible trap to be in. I was in one for years. It was actually taught at that particular church, and I'm not going to name it because it's still in existence today, but it was actually taught that they were the only real Christians in the area, and I believed it because I had no experience in any other church my whole life. I didn't get saved till I was 20. Growing up, if I asked my parents what religion were we, they said Protestant. I said, why are we Protestant? They said, because we're not Catholic. That was it. That was my religious upbringing. And occasionally learning how to use God and Jesus in creative ways during conversations, but that's a different story. There was no religious upbringing in my house. But you see, when people make faith complicated, it can be very difficult to walk away from it. So one of the things we have to do is we have to remember where authority is and who it is we're trying to connect with. And a question that we need to ask ourselves is, are you doing anything in the lives, in your own life or the lives of the people around you to make the pathway to Christ more difficult than it needs to be? Are we creating stumbling blocks in front of people? You know, it'd be really great if you got saved, you'd stop dressing that way. Oh yeah, now they want to come to church. You know? We'll get you to church, we'll get you saved, and we'll get you some clothes that fit. Says the guy whose shirt is stretched out to its capacity in the front. You know, once you get saved, you can get rid of that heathen job. Get you in a real job that Christians have. (laughs) Okay, what are those? (laughs) 
Because I would love to know what those jobs are. See, we try to minister to people, but we forget what we end up doing is we end up accidentally or sometimes on purpose because people think that this is their this is their job is to clean them so then God can catch them. I'm going to help you clean up your life. That way, God, that way you can come to God. That's not how the gospel works. We come to God and he cleans us. It's amazing how difficult we can make things. The Pharisees and Sadducees practice a graceless faith. A graceless faith. If you ever want to know if you're in a church that operates in a graceless faith, here's, a, here's a, and people watching online, listening on the radio, here's how this works. Someone in the church falls into a sin, and in very short order, that person is driven out of the church. I've seen it time and time again. Young men fall into pornography. Eventually, the family leaves the church because the family is belittled or shunned or looked down on by people who used to be friends. Someone gets divorced. They end up out of the church because they're made to feel so small, so instant. You just failed God. God was so proud of you until you made that decision. Are you kidding me? You find out that someone's had an alcohol problem for years and years and years. (gasps) Boy, if I only knew you were so sinful... I would have been different towards you. Really? I mean, God help you if your hidden sin comes to light. Because I'll guarantee you have one. And if you don't, if you think you don't, chances are it's pride. Just, just saying. Just, 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 I'm, just, I'm, just, you know, I'm just throwing that out there for, for you to think about. None of us are perfect before God. None of us are righteous before God. We all have issues. Some of us know them, some of us don't. But the reality is, Jesus still accepts us because we're still moving towards him. My advice is stay humble, don't be a Pharisee. So how do you avoid this idea of becoming a Pharisee? How do you not fall into that pitfall. I'm going to do this part quickly because I don't want to keep you for a ton of time here. Having faith is not the same as understanding your faith. And if you want to avoid falling into the trap of this, you need to make a priority the process of understanding your faith. This is not really a a priority for a lot of Christians. They want to come to church, but they don't necessarily want to understand their faith. Because if they have a question, they'll just call the pastor. See, it doesn't work. Most of us are familiar with this passage, 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, be diligent to present yourself uh, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is it that we're trying to divide? We're trying to divide the word of truth. We're trying to divide. We're trying to understand the word of God. But we're trying to understand it rightfully. You notice he didn't say, be diligent to present yourself approved by God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly understanding the denomination of which they are a part. No, what it says. It's because your denomination doesn't matter. Your denomination may be wonderful, but it is not the thing you need to understand. It's the word of God that you need to understand. If your denomination has specific practices, as long as they are not against the clear teachings of Scripture, go for it. I know churches that only sing hymns because they don't like the modern music. 
I, I actually find that kind of funny because if you go back and you research hymns, most of the hymns that are sung in those churches were banned by churches when they first came out because they were too crazy. Some of those hymns, I don't know the rhythm of that hymn. I'm telling you, that could make someone dance. Do you know where most hymns got their start? Bars. <laughs> they were sung in bars because, because, because churches wouldn't let, them, wouldn't let them sing them in there because that piano was moving a little too fast. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. In a cleft far, I mean, really? Like that was too much? Isn't it funny how music progresses as we, as we move along? But you see, but if the teachings of the, of the church, whichever church you're in, are contrary to scripture, or they add requirements to our salvation, then you have a choice you have to make. There's a, there's a difficulty in front of you. But now God gave us gifts in order to help us understand that. In Ephesians 4.11, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, most people know up to that point, and most of the time, this is looked at as finding your place in the ministry of God. Find your place in the fivefold ministry of God. Find your gifting. Most people who have that view, they didn't actually read the rest of the passage. Because the rest of the passage gives us a slightly different view. Check this out. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. Listen to this. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ. The purpose of those roles is to create unity in the church and a unity of understanding. It's not a ladder to climb. Each of those roles have a different purpose within the church, and they are to bring the truth of God to the people of God. That's the only reason that they exist. People who function in these roles are not above you. According to scripture, they're below you. They're to teach you. They're to train you so that you can do the ministry of the church. They're not above you. How about this one? First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they, have got, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are people who will bring you the religion of men mixed with just enough Christianity to make it sound good. Anyone ever fallen for one of those? They're all over the place. They sound so good. Everyone really loves it, but it's not Christianity. It doesn't save. But you see, if you don't know the Bible, they're very hard to spot. There's a new one that has been making a lot of headway recently that I'll warn you about. It's not Christianity, but it's going to sound like Christianity. Most of you, if you watch the Super Bowl, you probably saw some of it. It's called the He Gets Us movement. It sounds so good. You start looking into it. When you look, there's actually a book for it. He gets this. It says, written by, uh, 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 who is it? Lance Wall now? No, who is it? Yes. Uh, he didn't actually write it. He didn't write it. It's based off of his writings. 
Somehow they managed to talk him into letting them put his name on the front of it. Nope. You start looking into where it comes from, it's repackaged progressive Christianity, which in reality, when you, when you, if you study it, it's actually universalism. All are acceptable, all go to heaven, we're all good, because he gets us. It sounds so good, but it's a lie. But if you don't know the truth, you'll never spot it. See, we have to learn. what the, Otherwise, the path is crooked, and the path is supposed to be straight. Last one. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you who secretly bring in, listen to this, destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way the truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. There is a judgment waiting for these people, but that does not mean that they will not succeed in, in changing people to follow those ways. Now, the terrible thing is, um, is that where are these people? So there'll be false prophets and false teachers among the people. Where are they? They're standing in pulpits in churches all around the world. Does that not scare the snot out of you? There are leaders and teachers in the churches, and they are teaching destructive heresies. A destructive heresy is something that sounds like Christianity, but does not save you. That's the difference. And what they are exploiting is our lack of knowledge in the word of God. But the good thing is, all of these, even though all these pitfalls exist, it does not mean that we should lose hope or even get discouraged. I've heard people say, this is why I don't come to church, because you can't trust in people. <laughs> oh, because they're good decision makers like you. <laughs> right? What we should be doing is exactly what Isaiah said. We should be making straight in the desert a highway for our God. We should know enough about the word of God to understand it when we're presented with a fake. We should be able to spot it. And the only way to spot it is to know what the real thing is. Same way they teach people how to spot counterfeit money. You study the original, not the counterfeits. So we spend our times in the word of God. But we also do our best not to make the gospel message more complicated than it needs to be. It should be really simple. So let's do ourselves a favor and not make this Christian life any harder than it already is. Because it's pretty difficult and it's going to get more difficult. Let's walk through this life with an unrealistic amount of grace towards other people. But also an absolute rock-hard commitment to the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Not our church, not our family, not our denomination, not our particular viewpoints, but if, it, if you can't back it up with book, chapter, and verse, then it doesn't matter. We don't want to become a Pharisee. We'd rather be John running around the world with camel skin eating honey and, and, and locusts because, hey, if that's what God wants, I'm okay with that. As long as the locust is another word for cow.
Let's keep this thing simple because that's what that's what Jesus did. There's no reason to make things more complicated than it should be. Let's just love one another and bring people to, to the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Can we do that?